Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. We also ask you to subscribe to our feed. You get new episodes right to you through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. You can always go to nationalreview.com as well. Click on the podcast link. You'll find Political Beats and all the other fine NR podcasts all ready for you to listen. Listen, share, enjoy. Please leave reviews of the program. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by as always, or perhaps sitting, it varies week to week. Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? Have you seen my podcast? We've covered Van Halen, Dave Matthews Band, Arcade Fire, REM, Beck, The Eagles, Camper, Van, Beethoven. And by the way, every podcast we've ever participated in is more relevant than every podcast you've ever participated in. (laughs) Find Jeff on Twitter at EsotericCD. And our our guest today is a returning guest. He's a a communications consultant, GOP operative, contributor to The Bulwark, and co-founder of America Rising. Find him on Twitter at TimODC. It's Tim Miller back again. Tim, welcome back to Political Beats. Oh, Jeff, you're already betraying your lack of cool. James would have been so disappointed that you did not shout out the King Crimson podcast <laughs> when you were listening through your oove. Um, I am, uh, what can I I'm do? I'm so excited to be here with you guys. I, I have, I have a, a momentary respite from my considered cool just to give you an authentic, some authentic feelings, and that is that I've had so much joy going back through my favorite bands uh, uh, discography over the last few days, and I, I've appreciated the opportunity that you guys gave me to do that, and I hope that spreads to the listeners over the next, you know, hour and a half or so. Yeah, that's nice for you, Tim, but I was there. I was there. <laughs> and if if my experience is any indication, listeners will, will in fact enjoy it, uh, because much like Jeff trying to get through the Black Crows catalog some weeks ago, that was me this week trying to get through our, our band's catalog, one that I had not uh, really uh, been through previously. So get to that in a second. First, we, we talk about our guest, and we let our guest introduce himself. Tim Miller, uh, tell us about your political beat. Uh, well, I've done this before. I, I, I should have gone back to listen to see what I said last time <laughs> to give people new information. But uh, yeah, I'm a longtime uh, Republican communications operative um, uh, who you know went strong uh, into the never Trump strain, uh, which has left me, uh, I guess, a, a little bit distant from my <laughs> former colleagues uh, in the Republican political hat community. So I moved out to the Bay Area. Um, and I'm still doing a little political work, but also some tech communications consulting. And um, it, it is doing a nice job of reinvigorating my conservatism living here in the Bay Area, which is which is a valuable <laughs> side benefit. Yes, I would imagine so. And uh, our band today, uh, this, it's Tim's second uh, second time through here. And uh, one that I think we even we might have even mentioned doing this band with Tim on that first episode we did with him. And now he's back to talk about. LCD sound system. And we open the floor to Tim Miller once again to tell us why you love LCD sound system, how you got into them, and why anybody else should really care about this band. Yeah. Um, I, I think I came into music and I, I was a big one. I spread head. 
Uh, I've seen him over 60 times, and yet Scott and I have bonded offline over uh, some love for North Mississippi All-Stars yeah. and some of these other traditional kind of Southern rock jam outfits. Um, and, and you know, as I got out of college and uh, fancied myself uh, you know, getting, you know, more deeply into music and, and, and really widespread panic played a big role in that because they, they did all these covers to kind of the great, you know, sort of rock and roll and seventies acts and soul acts and blues acts. And, and that exposed me to a lot and, and made me want to, you know, kind of get more into contemporary um, music. And, and I was dr- drawn more towards essentially the indie scene that was, that was growing at the time uh, in the early aughts. And, you know, I, I, I basically listened to whatever was kind of the hot pitchfork uh, band of the moment, <laughs> pitchfork being, you know, the, the uh, flagship indie rock uh, website and reviewing uh, review site. And as I started going to these shows, uh, uh, you know, I, I felt one thing missing, right, which was kind of the energy that you had from going to jam band shows. I mean, people at widespread panic concerts freak out, you know, and everybody is it is the biggest party of the night, no matter what day of the week is, wherever you go. And, and as I found myself going to see Interpol and the Strokes, uh, you know, there was a lot of um you know, affected cool people looking at their shoes. And, and while I liked the music, I sort of missed that kind of camaraderie. And then in uh, about 2006, you know, I'd been familiar with a couple of LCD songs, you know, Losing My Edge and some of the songs that were, you know, being reviewed on the sites. Um, but <laughs> funnily enough, I was uh, charged. Uh, I was at a PR firm at the time. And one of our clients was the Chase Freedom Card, and the Chase and the people at Chase needed somebody who knew music to staff the Chase Freedom Card tent at Bonnaroo. And so this is like the dorkiest job in the world. You know? this, is a, this is a movie script. Pre- yeah, totally. <laughs> So I, I'm, I'm having to, during the day at, at uh, Bonnaroo, I'm having to kind of greet the Chase Freedom Card members, <laughs> these kind of rich hippies walking through. Um, and, but then at night I'd go see shows and LCD played, and I, I meant to go back and look at it, the, the late show at Bonnaroo, which might have been 11 o'clock, might have been 4 a.m. I've no, It felt like 4 a.m. I, I don't remember, but it was the, the last set, you know, kind of in a side tent. And I went there, you know, dead sober, having having worked the Chase Freedom Card tent and kind of stood off to the side. And they just crushed it. And everybody in the audience, you know, was completely losing their, you know, what? Um, and, you know, I've been familiar with a couple of the songs, but th- then there was a whole nother, you know, kind of layers of songs that, that either I hadn't listened to or, or didn't work for me on, on CD or, or on, on um, you know, I guess it wasn't Spotify at the time, whatever it would have been. MP3. Yeah. Stolen MP3 Thank from Napster. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I thought, okay, th- this is, these are the guys. Like, this is, these are the guys that merge, you know, my dance you know, desire from a jam band scene with my, with what I, my taste.
you know, um, in a way, that's kind of what made this band work. Uh, James was coming at it from a different way, James Murphy, but he, but him and his, uh, you, know, you know, his partner in crime, a guy named Tim Goldsworthy, who came out of the uh, uh, electronic scene, they found the same thing. They came to New York, and you know, they wanted the energy of EDM house music shows uh, transitioned into the Rock Kids. And and so you know in a way that there's a lot of there's some parallels there and so it makes sense that that was why they connected to me and and you know I think still now to this day this is kind of a common thing with this sort of merging of dance music with with rock music but at the time they were they were the flagship and and I, I really don't think any of the imitators have done it as well. I literally had an experience uh, at the end of my college years at a, at a good friend of mine named Paul uh, and uh, we were both you know music snobs. Uh, he was a vinyl junkie. I had a record player, but my my true confession, and this is the thing that appalls real uh, musos, is that I'm not a fan of vinyl. I don't like records. I don't like vinyl. It's an inconvenient format. You're too lazy. I'm too damn lazy. <laughs> I want to put things together in an enormous playlist that goes for eight hours and just kick back and let it roll. All right, but I had a vinyl player back then. Did it mainly because uh, you know Paul was my friend and he had great taste and he was always going out and hunting down things and he came back one day. This was this would have been like September or something like that of two thousand and two, two thousand and three maybe. And he just literally, I will never forget. He walked in the door. He's holding twelve inch record in both hands with uh, a, a eating grin on his face. And, and I'm like, what is this? What's going on? He's like, Jeff, I think you wrote a song. <laughs> I'm like, what? No. So Jeff, this is you. This is you in song. And of course, what is it he puts on? <laughs> it's losing my edge. The kids are coming up from behind, uh, but I was there. And then there's that great line. The first reference he makes is, of course, a band that I've been obsessed with in college. I was there in 1968. I was there at was the first Cannes show in Cologne. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing my edge to the internet seekers who can tell me every member of every good group from 1962 to 1978. And, oh, my God, it was like, first of all, listening to a, a, a comedian tell the funniest joke you've ever heard for eight straight minutes and you keep laughing and you, you start laughing so hard that you run out of laugh, that you're just doing that sort of dry heave convulsive laugh because every reference is so spot on. <laughs> it's like he's writing about your life. And on top of it, there's this incredible 
industrial electronic beat that just builds and builds and builds. I cannot tell you how much that song altered my life simply because it had that incredibly creepy feeling of this man ventriloquized me. And of course, you know, like only later, like years and years and years later, I'd go back and finally I'd read interviews with James Murphy. It was the the LCD sound system, just so the folks who are unaware here know, it's it's a band, I suppose, but you know the studio stuff is almost entirely recorded by Murphy. Uh, the rest of the group that plays live will make the occasional appearance on recorded track, but man, it's basically Murphy working in a room and, and just putting together the weird sounds in his mind. And Murphy was basically talking about me. And in a, such an uncomfortable way, in such a perfectly hilarious way, where he perfectly nailed that that bizarre possessiveness that you have over the obscure music that you love, the things that you care about, the uh, you know uh, the way you define yourself aesthetically, and maybe even you know, in terms of like actual objective superior merit, based on the fact that like I was there when Captain Beefheart started up his first fan, his first band, and what was it? He says, I, I told him, don't do it that way. You'll never make a dime. Which is such a great line. Um, I, I, James is also not just but the thing is, is he nails you, Jeff, and he nails all the other, you know, people, you know, the too cool for school music, you know, the record shop kids. Um, but but he's parodying himself. Mm-hmm. You know? well, and then, isn't, isn't, isn't that like I've never been wrong? I used to work in a record store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. And, that, and that, what you just said, uh, you know, about how he told Captain Beefheart they were wrong. Uh, he was a producer right, for DFA Records, and that's why he basically started the band, because all of the bands that worked for him hated him, because he kept telling them they were doing everything wrong. And it sort of reminds me, for the political listeners of this, I don't know, this might be an old wives' tale, but people say that Obama would tell his staff on the campaign that he could do everybody's job better than them. Uh, and, like, that was Murphy. He he was <laughs> telling all these artists he could do all their jobs better than them. And he was right, by the way. Like, the one or two albums he actually produced that, that the bands allowed him to do his crazy stuff are, are brilliant albums. The Rapture's second album, Arcade Fire's Reflector. But, uh, but you know, these, these people ended up, besides Arcade Fire, they, they had a friendship. But the rest of them ended up hating him. Uh, and he became so domineering he couldn't produce. And so that's why you know he made these records which is just all 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 everything in his head and and he's right he's he's a he's a master of sound he says he's just he's completely ocd so he is obsessive about you know different kinds of synths and different tones and you know we can get into that as, as we get different to beats like like oh, are we gonna use the lind drums here or are we gonna use like a different kind of sample drums right. and 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 by the way and again you know just sort of as an introduction this is in a way a journey for political beats to the end of rock and roll. This, yeah. in a way, is, you know, I, I think of LCD sound system in some way, sort of like a terminal point in rock history, which is, you know, sad. You know, it's, it's all, my bread and butter is rock music, post-punk and those sorts of things, but it, it's kind of a, a, a dying genre. Pop still lives. Hip-hop is alive and well and uh, living all over the world. But rock music sort of has, has petered out, and I feel like LCD Sound System is sort of the end of that, the end of that sort of art rock, um, rockist point of view. And that's why, to me, it's no surprise that this is maybe the most quintessential critics band mm-hmm. that we've ever covered on this show. LCD Sound System is a band that, uh, you know, uh, actually – 
did achieve a certain amount of commercial success and populousness, particularly in like New York and places like you know New York and actually continentally in Europe. But this is the band for all the guys who ever wrote or wished they could have written for Pitchfork Media. This is the band for all of the hipster internet snooty nose up in the air, high toned affect people who think they understand better music than you understand. Um, which is not something that should turn you off the LCD sound system because one of the best things about Murphy as a lyricist is he's, he's intensely aware of that. Mm-hmm. And he just he just cuts into the he paradises that in almost every single thing. He doesn't, in fact, he does it right there with that first song. By the way, I talked about Losing Edge. It's kind of as, as good an intro to this band as anything because this was their, his, their, whatever you want to call it, debut single. Um do you have any thoughts on this, Tim, Scott, before I continue quoting you all the great the great laugh lines? I just would say just briefly on Losing My Edge, well, well just two things. One, I, I want to add that this is not just a band for the critics, but it's also, you know, the, he, it, Murphy calls this dumb body music, right? So, uh, you know, there is a kind of a level of this band where if you are really just looking for some dance music at night, uh, you know, um, and you're looking for a band that, you know, that's going to make you nod your head where you don't want to have to think about what types of synths synths he's using or listen to, (laughs) you know, his considered ironic lyrics. Like this is also the band for you, right? Which is, uh, and that merger is, I think what made them so successful and more successful than some of the other critic critic, uh, uh, you know, fan bands, but the losing my edge, I think for people who are new to the band, the most interesting thing about it is, it's weird in in a way the the song is like an, a beginning and an end for the band right like when he when murphy made the track it was kind of on a lark, right? He was a producer at the time for DFA Records, and he wasn't really planning on starting starting a band. He literally is talking in the track about how he's over the hill already because he was <laughs> writing this, you know, in his early 30s, which is, you know, basically ancient for uh, hipster bands. I mean, Julian Casablancas and the Strokes at the time are 21-year-old kids when they're... Better-looking people with better ideas and more talent, and they're actually really, really nice. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, when when he writes this, you know, at the time, he, he doesn't kind of imagine, right, that this, you know, four years later, you know, is going to be, you know, considered one of the bands of the century, right? Uh, you know, he's writing, he's sort of letting out his frustrations um, uh, with the younger kids who are coming up from behind who are passing him up. And, uh, you know, in that way, it it, it, it is... The start of the band is completely different, you know, in, in ways that I think benefit him and, and, and uh, uh, you know, work against him. You know, it's like the old kind of friends line with like Ross and Rachel where they started, you know, they started dating. It's like we started dating on the 50th date, right? Like this band kind of started on the third record, right? Because he had already been a producer. He'd already been a sound guy. He'd already, you know, been in multiple bands. And then when Losing My Edge took off, he, he, he had a developed sound. He knew what he he wanted the band to be. I hear that you and your band have sold your guitars and bought turntables. I hear that you and your band have sold your turntables and bought guitars. I hear everybody that you know is more relevant than everybody that I know.
That actually is reminiscent of our very last uh, uh, artist on the show, which is Jackson Brown. Jackson Brown's debut was after, you know, six years of working in the trenches and writing songs and figuring out exactly where he wanted to be by that first album. And so that that, that just reminds me of that as you speak about uh, the way that these first singles were coming together. Um, As I mentioned earlier, or at least alluded to earlier, I was very uninitiated with LCD Sound System. Uh, music as we dove into this week's episode and so i was you know digging in from from front to back from start to finish i may have heard a song or two in in passing but and i knew of them and knew of the reputation uh but but had not dug into the music at all and so i started uh, per jeff's suggestion with the second disc from the from the self-titled album which is which is essentially the, this group of singles uh, before the album, you know, before the first album, and Losing My Edge is the first song on that second disc, and so that that's my introduction. It is a more than more than adequate introduction to the band. Um, you know, the um, I, I am not necessarily the, the biggest fan of of dance music overall, but the way that LCD uh, assembles these songs uh, and 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 so many songs, you know, the, the kind of layering and slowly building uh the groove and the rhythm that the song is built upon is just is is genius and that starts with a lot of these singles even on losing my edge you know that that uh that that initial beat kind of moves by the second verse to to a rhythm piece there's a little more involved there's there's some uh some different beats and then and then a loud one instrument at a time comes in yeah Yeah. and then finally this loud kind of pounding pace as you get toward the end of the song and as jeff mentioned he's shouting right all these band names that uh all these bands that he has in his record collection so it is it is it is a fine introduction to the band itself in my mind also a great introduction just to music. I, like, I was not a <laughs> yeah. record head like Jeff. And so I, I literally once I kind of got back into the band, um, uh, you know, went, just basically used this song list as a way to kind of discover all the hip 70s and 80s uh, <laughs> you know, kind of rock and punk acts. You know, and I mean, I, I was so uninitiated. Like literally at one point he talks about the Modern Lovers tracks. And I, I thought it must have been like a joke about you know, one of those like love song compilations from the seventies or something. And then I went to Google it and realized, no, discover the actual modern lovers, right? Who are great, by the way, Uh, you know, so uh, uh, it's a nice way to sort of get up to speed. uh, If you, if you're, you know, going to find yourself in a conversation with the record, with the uh, record store nerds. Okay. So I guess I think this probably will take us. There were a couple other singles that were released between this give it up which is good good rock song short song and then yeah which by the way you know like there's there's sort of this 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 inherent tension in all of these lcd sound system songs that they they're they're based on these these grooves this is not prog rock they're not going to shuffle you into nine eight time or anything like that it's four on the floor almost every single time out and it beats and it beats and it beats but because of that repetitive groove and the way that murphy assembles sounds these songs alter into rants Mm -hmm. they turn into declamations where all of a sudden you know before you realize it it's not just like mindless music that's played on the club when everybody's you know dosed out on e no like all of a sudden murphy is burying his soul in like a very straightforward and and disarmingly intelligent way and you get that in in songs like basically every single thing on the first lcd sound system album 
which is just called LCD Sound System. And, you know, it, it, on, its, on its front, the image is, is sort of almost perfect for the New York hipster scene that he was trying to, to fit into, to be a part of. You know, it's the disco ball with a couple of tiles missing, uh, you know, sort of faded glory, kind of got a bit of like late 70s uh, cocaine drug vibe going on there. Um, and then you put on the record and you hear these beats and this music set to lyrics that, boy, they scan through you. They run by you so fast mm -hmm. that if you're not paying attention, you don't realize how crazy the lines to say Daft Punk is playing at my house. Or and my particular favorite is, is on repeat, which has one of the greatest lyrics uh, that, that James Murphy ever wrote. Maybe one of the greatest lyrics of the entire 2000s. Uh, in my opinion, but I'm going to to save that. I want I want to hear what you guys think about the first LCD album. Let, let me go real quick because I, I should have mentioned this when I was talking about losing my edge. There's two other uh, songs from that singles from the singles collection that I want to mention real quick. One is Yeah, which Jeff just mentioned, and I messaged Jeff as I was first getting through this music, and I said, you know, I'm listening to Yeah, and don't laugh at me, but I. I hear like the best parts of Sandinista from The Clash, which, yep. we, which we had just done some weeks ago. <laughs> but that's what I hear, this you know, late 70s, early 80s, New York City music scene where all these different styles are, are just meshing together, but, but grounded by this firm bass line, hand claps and percussion. Uh, and the pretentious version's even better. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I hear on, yeah. And then the one, uh, Your City's a Sucker, is the first one of the, their songs that I have been, you know, that I listened to in getting through the catalog that I, just, I really took to. Um, I really like Your City's a Sucker. It's, there's a minimalism to it, of course. There's virtually, you know, just one or two sets of repeated lyrics through it. But there's a great, this great strutting groove with chimes and a strong drum beat. And these, again, Jeff mentioned the lyrics, which, which you really have to work to hear at times and work to, because they, A, they go by so fast and B, they're, they're buried sometimes in some of the, uh, in some of the rhythm and, and, and percussion. But, uh, you know, uh, you have so much more space with which to ha 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 laughing at, uh, at other cities that are not quite New York. Uh, that, that humor and that, and that writing style showing early. So uh, the, the, the self-titled album with which those singles are attached to via the second CD, I really liked it. I really liked it. Uh, Tribulations, I think, is my favorite track on the album. That that throbbing synth is just so good. And as much as, you know, these songs are sort of, as Jeff mentioned, that they're layered, that, you know, those instruments sort of introduce themselves uh, one by one. There's some classic song structure to Tribulations yeah. that I think works really well. There's even a guitar solo, right? Um, 
And the vocal delivery works just right. You know, he's not much of a singer, right? I mean, it's sometimes he tries to croon. Sometimes there's just a speak sing, like in Losing My Edge. Well, that's um, funny because he grows. He becomes a singer. And like, you know, on American Dream, he, he sings the whole thing. And yeah. yet you're right. On this on this early stuff, yeah, he's talking. But there's good stuff on Tribulations. that It works well. The, the, the midpoint or so, when, when things drop out and there's just kind of the vocals with an echo behind it and a sequencer, it works. It fits the song perfectly. I try to make you lame, but you fight me out like a fighter does. You try making me lame, but it feels alright as long as something's happening. Get your payments from the nation. Never as tired as when I'm waking up. It kind of has a, a psychedelic uh, edge to it, and and uh, kind of in, in I guess in honor of of James Murphy, who was never afraid to hide influences. Uh, in, in reading about the band and reading so many interviews, the number of times you know he is so direct and honest with interviewers and in saying, "Look, I I don't want to hide my influences. I, I want them to come through. I'd rather write a great song where my influences influences are clear than try to hide them and end up with something I don't like." And so, in honor of that, I, I I will be referencing in many times what these songs sound like to me comparing to other bands. Never as tired as when I'm waking up sounds to me like Sparkle Horse, uh, in the best way. And you know, a hint of, of Pink Floyd, of course, so that psychedelic kind of edge to it. Um, Disco in, uh, Infiltrator, I like a lot too. The delivery there is, I, I again to compare, it's kind of Beck-like, uh, circa Midnight Vultures, um, kind of overextended in the way that the vocals are being delivered um the, the affectation works for me uh and of course someone else can talk more about this but the leadoff track which might be their i don't know might be their most famous track daft punk is playing at my house is fantastic and the way those hi-hats sound i listen while wearing headphones that is an incredible sound the way murphy gets exactly what he wants to hear on tape and in the song is an incredible quality uh as a producer and writer you talk about how he, you know Murphy said, like, I'd rather write uh, a great song that shows my influences than a bad one that hides them. And I, you know, there's no greater example of that on the first album than "Great Release," which is the last song on the record, which yeah. literally just might as well have been called "Here Come the Warm Jets Part Two. It is Brian Eno by any other name. I mean, there has just never been, in fact, in my opinion, a better or more. Effective tribute to that building Brian Eno sound. It's like halfway between, you know, Here Come the Warm Jets, his first album, and say Taking Tiger Mountain by Strategy, maybe a little bit of the big ship thrown in in between. But the way it just builds up with that repetitive nonsense lyric, you know, like you know, it feels like I'm coming home still like it was a merry cow. Feels like I'm coming home full of love. Still in time is the great release. It's semi-nonsensical lyrics. It's all carried along by that pounding piano. And it's a beautiful song, but it's a beautiful song that unfolds itself like a minimalistic mantra that sort of builds into this overwhelming roar. And again, 
you can absolutely hear that this is this is a man who has a Brian Eno collection. He has every single <laughs> album. He's listened to discrete music several times, and he's really internalized the lessons he's learned from them. There's nothing bad about that. I mean, that's just a fantastic song, and I do not hold the fact that his tribute is so clear, his references are so obvious in the slightest bit. to not i think as both of you said you, you you know we'll spend a lot of time talking about you know his influences and talking about where this fits in the music sort of industry and in the history of rock because that's what he writes about you know i mean right. that is yes. that was basically the conceit of the band right and so when you talk about the lead off track daft punk is playing at my house in some ways to like you know somebody who's 23 right now and just getting into music and listening to this i, I think that you know, they, they would sort of miss one element of, of the song, right? Which is that when this was written in the early 2000s, you know, the, you know, before, you know, Spotify, like Napster just came out, you know, these various music scenes really were discreet, right? And so there was no, you know, kind of serious XMU where they played all the different types of indie, you know, rock, uh, you know, and there's some college radio stations, of course, that would do that. But for the most part, you know, the, the punk kids hung out at punk, you know, venues and listened to punk and the rock kids hung out at rock venues and listened to rock and the dance kids went to clubs and listened to dance. And so Murphy and, and Goldsworthy, um, you know, basically were bringing Daft Punk, you know, in the early aughts to the New York, you know, Brooklyn, rock scene that was emerging and so the song is is really about that right and it's it's about imagining you know having you know daft punk in their ridiculous helmets you know come into one of these basement <laughs> clubs in brooklyn uh and play for the rock kids and and what is going to happen to them right
so you know there is this driving kind of beat to it that that calls on you know that sort of demands you know the shoegazers to get up and dance and you know as as the song has developed over the years uh you know they've just made it more and more intense if you listen to kind of the live versions on the various uh you know sort of studio records they've put out so you know the other ones that i'd call out uh, on this record uh are you know tribulations totally agree with scott is the best song it started as a joke about how to make a pop song and then murphy's like actually i really like this beat <laughs> and you know it's the part that's the part where you know it goes you know and everybody makes mistakes but it seems that it's mine that always keep on stinging pa 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 and it is just such a brutal, you know, kind of dark version of a, you know, grinding dance, you know, attempt at a, at, at a pop number uh, that's just way cooler and way darker than anything you'd see on the pop scene. And, you know, a tip for DJs out there, you know, somebody that's trying to, you know, seem cool playing songs uh, at a party at night. Tribulations is such an homage to Blue Monday by New Order. Right. That you can just go right into Blue Monday out of the <laughs> end of Tribulations seamlessly, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, the, so which makes for fun. Um, thrills. I, you, neither of you mentioned. I, I just want to mention that it literally has the same beat as Missy Elliott's "Get Your Freak On," which came out at the same time. <laughs> Um, and that's uh, not a connection I would have ever drawn. Murphy, right? I mean, he's like, I'm going to bring in the hip hop on this record too. Um, yeah, you talked about great release. It's just so lush. And I think he has a song like this that's kind of a lush Eno esque tribute on every record. And this is the most, I think, true to Eno, uh, but in some ways, the later versions, I think, get better. Um, Never as tired as I'm waking up. He also has kind of a love song on every record, uh, but they're all, they almost always are self-owns, right? He, he right, insults right. himself with the lyrics, right, about how bad he is at love. And I, I love the, you know, he, you know, he always is, there's this tension in his lyrics always between this sort of reserved cool and the sentimentality and the beauty that he wants to get out. And, you know, that shows on this song, uh, you know, he says, it feels like I'm in love again with what you do, but not with you, even though I keep telling myself it's you. And uh, I, I think if you're new to the band, this is kind of a good song, really, to to start with on this on this record because the structure is a little bit more, you know, kind of similar to other, um, uh, you know, things that you'd see, like you mentioned, Pink Floyd and uh, Sparkle Horse. Uh, my criticism of this record is that they, he, since he's not singing, I, I do feel like it gets a little repetitive. Yeah. Uh, you know, your city's a sucker, yeah. Pow, on repeat, beat connector. You know, I call these kind of the bricklayer songs. They're all like, you know how in Stop Making Sense, you know, how one different uh, uh, instrument comes out each time uh, for each song in the in the Talking Heads movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he does this within the song, right? And all these are that. You know, it'll start with a drum or a, 
uh, a synth and then and and then build and then it's kind of him you know doing his James Murphy rap crew whatever you want to call that where he's not really singing um and and where he, he uses repetition you know all great songs to hear live to kind of mix in you know with more with songs that have a more traditional form but on the record it it, it felt it sometimes repetitive in, in a negative way i would say um and and really as we move forward to the next hour you'll hear me offer maybe like two other criticisms so <laughs> that's about all i've got uh, they also have a b-side i just have to mention this jump foot cover of harry nilsson's jump into it's the great Fire, oh that's which great is so good, which is so good and they yeah. played that live at madison square garden at their quasi last show which we'll talk about and it might have been the best thing they did uh, i mean yeah, that that by the way is a fantastic. It was it was fantastic live too. I'll just one last thing about this album, which is that you know it's 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 amazing the virtues that coming to uh, a professional music career at the age of thirty two or whatever, however old James Murphy was, over the hill so to speak, uh, are for your lyrics because he's so much smarter than the kinds of stuff that you as you said you know you go to Interpol or the Strokes I was you know I listened to those bands too at the time I never thought they had anything particularly interesting to say but every single lyric for an LCD sound system song almost yeah there's some that are just pure like you know garbage but uh but you can dig into them and you can find stuff that will literally make you think or smile and a great example of this one is on repeat which may just be my favorite lyric in the, in the entire history of lcd sound system because every time i hear it i laugh which is at the end of it while well, it's is built up to this big you know you know torrential outpour of sound and then murphy is is, is 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 screaming on top of it it's like i wish i could complain more about the rich but then all their children would flee the schools, come to every show, drugged and unwashed. No one wants that. <laughs> no one wants that. to mention i just i forgot to mention it's two punk songs on this record of like uh because i don't think either of you guys did movement is the first one and it's right. it's literally the same song twice it's just this right. punk song with yeah. synths and synth and drums uh and so he's sort of again this is he's showing the punk kids like he can do I, we can do a banger with electric with electronic uh instruments right so he does he does synth and drums and then he gets rid of the synth and drums and does the same a song again with live band instruments back to back. It's like maybe two and a half minutes long. And, and you know, to your point, he's always he, he's so self conscious and, and about his aging. And in every record, you're you're uh, you know you're talking about aging. So that's why I guess people call it dad rock. But it also is 
is good. He's he's very self-actualized as aging. He kind of deals with it in interesting ways and and in ways that sort of allow himself to have fun, you know, with it while also um, you know feeling the dread of aging. And you know, I mean, he says like it's a couple of dads and a few friends trying hard to stay in. Oh, the, the fat guy in the T-shirt doing yeah, right. all the saying. He's talking about himself. He's just like, I'm the fat guy in the T-shirt. Is James Murphy's. And Tired is the other punk song-like movement. So if you're kind of into punk, Tired is also a banger um, towards the end of the record. All right. Well, that brings us to, boy, LCD Sound System. A very promising debut from a guy who had gone from uh, a semi-anonymous DJ to the toast of the town in terms of rock criticism and uh, you know, building a fan base. And I think really what solidified everything – actually, I don't even know if I would say it solidified everything. I think everything changed with the next LCD Sound System album because this is the album. I think this is the album that they will go down in history for, I think justifiably. This is their most legendary album. I think this is pretty clearly their greatest album. I'll let my cart – right out on the table right now and say that LCD Sound Systems never recorded a better record and probably never will record a better record than Sound of Silver. It's 2007. Um, this is a magnificent piece. The only thing, the only criticism I can offer of Sound of Silver is that, uh, and this is ironic enough, is that its first track and its title track are the weakest songs on it, which is kind of uh, almost hilariously ironic like you usually if you're making an album you don't want to like you know have your opening track and your title track be the ones that people notice as being the, like the real standouts <laughs> but not as good as the rest but uh you know they're not as good as everything else on this record but everything else on this record is transcendent and even sound of silver the title track has again one of those wonderfully mordant lyrics yes. by murphy which is just the repeat it says sound of silver talk to me makes you want to feel like a teenager until you remember the feelings of a real live emotional teenager then you think again and that is the most hilarious treatment of sort of adolescent like you know uh Peter over- Right? Exactly, like, exactly. Think of Peter Panism. Well, I think of himself. It uh, made, his Peter Panism. It so made good. me think of all the body switch movies, like Vice Versa with Judge Reinhold right. or the Dudley Moore one, Kirk Cameron, where, hey, man, I want to be young. I want to be old. Oh, no, being young stinks again. I got to go back and be old. What awful thing it would be to have to repeat <laughs> teenager. That was terrible. I remember it now. Every now and then, like, I have, like, you know, everyone has, like, the, you know, the, you know, the rose colored lenses looking back. I go, like, oh, those were the nice halcyon days and every now and then i remember like oh man i was like deeply awkward and was convinced that i would never be able to emotionally relate to another human <laughs> being like all that kind of crap that teenagers go through it's like no and then they just in that one little stanza murphy just kills it all that
Uh, and by the way, those are the weak tracks on this album. Everything else is a masterpiece. And so I will, again, I'm going to turn it over to you. But this is the album with all my friends. This is the album with someone great and us v them and watch the tapes. North American Scum. Man, this is such a great record. This record in a lot of ways sort of defined uh, the cutting edge of mid you know 2000s music and it's going to remain that way for a very long time all right um i'm i i guess my only criticism of your criticism uh or of your entry uh there um jeff is it's e- the record is even better than you said <laughs> because uh, it doesn't have a weak track in my opinion uh uh you start off with the one that you uh you know offered a mild criticism of get innocuous is the leadoff track which is their best song using the bricklayer method that yeah, I talked I, about. And they basically yes. took this, yes. the same system that they had for POW and yeah, and your city's a sucker, but built on it. James can sing now. They added in these weird, you know, kind of Nancy Wang uh, uh, altered, you know, sort of female robot uh, vocals uh, onto it where she's telling you can't normalize, um, which is very cool. The since they've actually, uh, this is the one song I would encourage people to listen to their most recent live record, the electric lady sessions. Uh, this song has even expanded and gotten, uh, even, uh, uh, more intense live. They have these, th- these new synth sounds that he has just pierce your ears. Uh, when you're going to see them live, it's really, you know, uh, wonderful, uh, how he does that. Uh, and you know, it starts with just the drums and then the bass keys, the full drum kit vocals don't come in until three minutes in, um, very, uh, a very strong opener. Um, the other song I want to call out from this record, um, because this was one of the little joys I got in going back and, uh, uh, you know, trying to read about the band and, and revisit everything uh, ahead of this uh, podcast uh, was uh, something I didn't know, which is someone great is, you know, basically the, you know, kind of Eno soundscape tribute mm-hmm. version of this record. Um, it is very, you know, it's, a, it's a lush instrumental. Um, it was the instrumental that was used in the Nike running album which we might talk about after this about it was about nine minutes into that kind of 46 minute uh instrumental um and uh it is you know essentially you know it it sounds like it's talking about you're not sure whether it's a death or a breakup but you know it's kind of this uplifting irish dirge right like the sounds are are you know the the tone is um you know very high in the register uh, and, you know, it's sort of sad but uplifting in a way. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I never really knew who it was about, and, and Murphy had never said in interviews. But in this book that came out called Meet Me in the Bathroom about 2000s rock, some of the guys that hate Murphy, you know, were trashing him uh, in, in the book. And, and one of them, the guy from The Rapture, thought that this was such an epic burn. He said, oh, by the way, someone great is about his therapist dying. And I said, huh. And then I went back and read the lyrics and actually it made it even better because the (laughs) lyrics are so subtly uh, subtle about how he gets that in there. It starts with, I wish that we could talk about it. Right. So it's this, you know, song about his therapist dying and his opening line is how much he wants to go in there and talk to him about it. But there, that's the problem. Um, You know, I think he said something like it's like the little things that made me nervous. Uh, you know, talking about his anxiety going in to talk to the therapist. Uh, it is, um, I miss the way we used to argue locked in your basement. Uh, I, it just, it, it actually brought a whole new layer of love for me to that song, Someone Grit. Someone I mean, Grit. They, he dedicated the album 
to with his therapist actually who died i mean i think the guy's name was like uh like george something george george cammon or something like that who was his like group therapy leader uh, yeah. you know again yeah you know these you know, white people problems right you know like you know oh man you know you know, you know, my analyst has passed away, so I won't be the right people problems. But that, but you know, those are the thing. You know, that, he has like this kind of postmodern take on everything. So right, so this, you but know, they're with their feelings and meaning. You know, throughout all of you know, throughout all all four of the records. It's such an earned song. There's the, you know, it's a great song about mourning. You know, like the line is like the worst thing about it is all the lovely weather. Cause like, I'm stunned that it's not raining the coffee. It's not even bitter because what's the difference? You know, like that's such a, like a, a great point. Like, like, you know, something terrible has happened. You feel terrible. So why isn't everything in your life awful? Why right. is it? It reminds me of the way people talked about how nine 11 happened on a gloriously sunny day. Right. Which is, I remember, well, it was beautiful weather on the East coast. And, you know, then this, this awful tragedy took place. You know, that was the same kind of a memory for me as, 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 as the thing that Murphy is talking about in this song. It's a great way to think about, you know, mourning and think about tragedy. Think about like, you know, when you've lost somebody that you care about, why hasn't everything turned sour? Does that somehow invalidate the feeling that you're having? Mm -hmm. And then the music on it, of course, is based on this little thing. Okay, this is a little side story. There are nominally only four LCD sound systems, but there's kind of a fifth, which is this thing called 4533, which I love. I absolutely love. Uh, it's an, an instrumental you know, he the 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 line at the time is that it would be like you know, something you put on for your workout, so you could like you know like you know, step yourself up, and then like you'd really be running hard during the middle of it, and then you'd have a cool down session. But Murphy later admitted, "Is like no, 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 that's all a bunch of BS. I I, I just really <laughs> wanted to make like a long instrumental piece." It's so great though. He even BS Nike. Like, yeah, that's he part of that story. Like Nike actually bought it, right? He was looking. He wanted to do a long instrumental, and I don't, you know, know the full backstory about how he got Nike to do it. But part of the thing was he told them that he would do a running album where the sounds, you know, were all matching to you know how people do a you know do a long run or however long it would be. And you know what? If you if you think about it in those terms, it almost makes sense. It, it, it reminds me of dark, you know, we know the people always say you can synchronize dark side of the moon <laughs> with the Oz. Right. And, and what they're doing is their mind is just making connections right. that aren't obviously intended, but like the mind has such a capacity to, to like, you know, create meaning out of nothing that, you know, it works. 
So similarly, I used this album to work out. I worked <laughs> forty five thirty three, and it works. And it is it, it's it is his purest tribute to Brian Eno because it's a purely mm. instrumental album. It begins with a lot of ambient noise, then it develops into songs. Of course, one of the songs he re- later reused for someone great, which is as you know, as I think you know, Tim and I discussed, just one of his best pieces of music. But then it develops into all sorts of other things. There's soul moves. There's like a there's a horn soul interlude in this thing, and then of course peters off away into sort of more electronic noise. But, you know, for, you know, that four minutes that it's on, if you are the kind of person who likes to have music on when you work, when you're reading, when you're writing, when you're focusing or when you're working out, man, go hunt down a copy of 4533. It's treated as a footnote of the LCD sound system discography, but I love it so much. And now turn it back over Scott to talk about Sound of Silver because my God, this album it just keeps coming. Hey, I wasn't finished with my. Oh, damn it, Tim! All right, well then I'm going to turn it back over. Two more. I, you can't let you can't go to Scott before I talk about all my friends in New York. I love you. Okay. Oh well, all my friends. What are you supposed to say about that? What have you been spending? You know, 85 days in the south of France. In, in the, the middle. middle. <laughs> uh, all my friends is. I, well, I will give you a spoiler. It will be in my top five songs, and because uh, it is, I also think it's one of the top five songs of the millennium. Uh, it's it's just an unbelievably powerful anthem that is a a perfect pair with losing my edge, which shows uh, his growth. Um, as a you know, kind of as, as a songwriter, uh, and and as more a, really a popular songwriter rather than you know writing kind of a track for you know the MP3 blogs, um, but the lyrics you know talk about the development of, of that, and, and it is you know, sort of a, a look at his life, but it's it's something that is just so mass relatable. Uh, you know, I think the main the main driving lyric at the front is you spend your first five years trying to get with the plan. And then the next five years trying to be with your friends again. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is just this uh, experience that anybody, whether through, you know, somebody that's diving themselves into their work, uh, certainly me, uh, somebody who uh, dove myself into the political scene, uh, can relate to, you know, trying to spend your first five years trying to be White House press secretary and then your next five years trying to get as far away from these people <laughs> as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, the then sort of the big anthem- anthemic line is, you know, I can still come home to this, right? Um, I can still come home to all my friends. And, you know, in a way, it's a rather, it's, it's a little cloying for James. And I think he has said that, you know, for a little while, uh, he, he, it made him uncomfortable, kind of, how, how the, the, the sort of raw uh, sentimentality of it. Um, and so he kind of cuts that in times with, with funny, you know, kind of lines, uh, you know, about sort of being up late and doing drugs, like when you're running out of the drugs and your conversations are winding away. Um, but, you know, he, he comes back to, you know, this, this sort of core primal feeling that everybody has um, about – 
you know, kind of wanting to, you know, get back with the people that are their real friends. And, and in six and, and it's six and a half minutes in this thing builds and builds and builds and builds. And it's finally six and a half minutes in where you get this kind of primal Yelp and it, and, and, and the song drops. Um, and it is, it is just a, 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 just a really, you know, shows, you know, the way he can manipulate sound and, and is so powerful lyrically. Um, I, I, I uh, just for, for uh, Jeff's purposes, so we can argue about it after I put wake up seven nation army last night maps and uh, uh, all my friends as the five rock songs of the 2000s. So we can argue about that later. Last, <laughs> you, know, you know what? I mean, that's actually not a bad list. Got <laughs> say. I've got to talk about New York. I love you because the end of New York. I love you. And the end of the record. And I think people miss this and it's so good. You know, New York. I love you is this kind of hipster Billy Joel ode almost to New York. <laughs> right. And if you're, you know, kind of just listening to it casually, he's, he's making all the kind of references, you know, all these, you know, some, some obscure and some less obscure kind of New York references. And he, you know, talks about our mild millionaire mayor Bloomberg uh, thinks he's a king. Um, but yeah, as the song, uh, you know, this, this sort of kind of electronic, uh, ballad, if you will, to New York, you know, builds to the end, like the message that he has is, is this kind of one of uncertainty about whether, you know, the cool New York is gone. Um, and you know, whether these losers that are moving in have ruined everything. There's a ton of the twist, but we're fresh out of shout. Yeah, and so he's speaking to the kind of the young scenesters who are moving into New York, saying to them, "I'm sorry, guys, it might be over, but maybe it's not. Maybe I'm getting old, and and um, and and you know, there are cool things happening." And so the song kind of ends with this, as, as he's sort of talking to these young scenesters. He says, "Maybe your mother told you true, that there'll always be somebody there for you, and and you'll never be alone." kind of talking about you being here in New York and this sort of sweet, it's kind of a sweet sentiment, you know, to leave them. And that, but then he says, but maybe she's wrong and maybe I'm right. And if so, here's this song. I mean, how dickish is that? It's just unbelievably like cocksure, but also, you know, sentimental. You know, he ends this kind of long, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right, I don't know. But here's what I know, is that if everything is gone to shit and you're stuck here in New York with all these terrible people, 
I'll give you this song and this album. And that's how the album ends. It is, it's really a, a, a brilliant end of the record. And the people loved it. They, they ended all their shows with it. It was yeah. one of their most favorite songs. And I don't, I don't know what the what the LCD sound system fan base, you know, popular opinion on these on the albums are being being new. So I do like it when my opinion seems to match up with uh, with those who have have really been uh, for whom this music has been part of their life for a while. I also uh, think Sound of Silver is their best album. I actually. I'm almost, I guess, on Tim's side in that I think the two songs that Jeff singled out as being uh, somewhat lesser, uh, Get Innocuous and Sound of Silver, are both excellent. Um, the um, uh, Certainly some, Someone Great and All My Friends right in the middle anchors the album. I, I think the back-to-back at the very, very end of Sound of Silver and New York I Love You is also tremendous in its own right. Uh, from that kind of stiff, icy groove that starts Sound of Silver and eventually you know, as the, as the layering starts, it becomes more of this like slinky mix of different sounds. Um, and then, and then Tim really took on New York. I love you very well. Get innocuous. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with Tim there too. I think it probably is the best, uh, as he put it, the, the bricklayer song, uh, the way that get innocuous builds as an opening track from, from start, uh, to finish, it's two minutes in until the, the drums finally kick in, and the song somewhat feels complete at that point. And uh, you know the vocals; he, he's actually singing here. Some of them are, are difficult to decipher. You know, as I was listening, I wrote down that some of the lyric uh, treatment sounds like uh, if you were trying to listen to like a backward mask on, on an LP. They're, they're they're a little garbled; they're a little underneath, and you can kind of make out what what's being said. Uh, but I really like Get Innocuous. North American Scum is one of my favorite songs on the album. And this gets back to the point I think Tim was making very early on, which is the ability to to kind of get that 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 dance feeling to the to rockers and, and vice versa. I mean, North American Scum is this fun, kind of fist-pumping sort of song. Uh, you know, we, we're North American Scum. We love North America. Take us back to the States, man. Uh, and that, that back bass line is just so steady. There's this tick-tock kind of synthetic beat through the whole thing. And what I also like about North American Scum is there's guitar, and, and this is this is used in a number of songs, of course, but the guitar in North American Scum is used as almost another percussive instrument, the way that those strings are are, are struck. It just adds to the rhythm, it adds to the uh, to the to the mood of the song. It's really great. New York's the greatest if you get someone to pay the rent. So proud of Mary. 
gotta disagree Here in North America But New York's the only place we keep them off the street Be them quite a bit the way that that uh, he plays with the momentum kind of kind of building up and backing off and building up and backing off uh, and the, the double time hi-hat that that kicks in midway through the song uh, I like us be them quite a bit e- e- time to get away which I'm not sure has been mentioned yet that is a fantastic groove I it's one of yeah. the shorter songs it's only about four minutes long but it's so compact and the groove is just so perfect love it love it from start to finish uh i really really enjoy sound of silver um from the first time that i that i listened start to finish i think it's their best work i mean I, I, not by far but i i think it's clearly uh the best of those four albums put out by the band well i mean i really i don't think there's much more need to really add at this point because we've covered <laughs> every single song. I mean, you know, Connor, he's so jealous. I'm over here thinking about how lucky he was this last week to just be listening to this stuff for the first time. Now I I'm mean, getting, I'm just, having borrowed nostalgia right now. For I, know, I mean, just, just to hear somebody here, North American scum for the first time where James Murphy's saying, making it clear to all you Frenchmen, like, listen, we're not Canadians. Yeah. We're North American scum. Put the America in North America, you know, like, all the kids want to make the scene here in North America. You know, your young kids get to read it in magazines. Oh, it's just such a great song. It's kind of like, you know, the you're never going to hear like a, a, an Oki from Muskogee style, <laughs> like country balladry, love it or leave it kind of anthem from a bunch of Brooklyn hitters. But this is about it's as close. close as it gets. Yep, yep. <laughs> Yeah, he has to do one on every record. You know, he does. I, I guess you could say this is a criticism. I, I, I like it, but he, he definitely has a format for these next three records. And, you know, there's kind of an Eno-ish song. There's sort of a love song. And then, you know, there's one kind of shorter, more rock-focused, kind of ironic you know, song where he's he's tr- sort of trying to, you know, get, uh, you know, be funny with the lyrics, but, uh, you know, have a kind of a dance rock uh, groove. And uh, and and this is the best of those three. Uh, North American Scum is the one that 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 I think is really uh, uh, you know really works both lyrically and musically. I mean, but yeah, so the, you know, there's nothing left for me to add. We've talked about uh, someone great, all my friends. That run from North American Scum all the way through, uh, I guess, Santa Silver. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, listen, I I even like Santa Silver. So basically, the run from North American Scum all the way to the end is just all record. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Yeah, 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 the whole record. People buy this record. <laughs> it's just so good. All my friends, you know, uh, I mean, these the the transition to it live. Uh, you know, you will never, you know, for the for the people that 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 hate the Brooklyn hipsters, you know, and don't like the 
you know, disaffected, um, you know, unwillingness to have emotion. Uh, just kind of go watch a video of all these uh, all these nerds and they're black, you know, listening to all my friends. I mean, you've got you know, crying hipsters everywhere. All of a sudden they're having feelings and put it on the radio. It's, it's too emotional. All right. Well, you know, and here's the other thing about LCD sound system about Murphy is that he took forever. He worked at the, the, the pace of a snail and he's actually slowed down from a snail to some sort of weird mad scientist fusion combination of snail and tree sloth. So now he works even slower than he used to. So it took three years before the next LCD Sound System album came out. And when it did come out, uh, it was kind of widely heralded as like, well, this is the end. Uh, the, the, that album is called This Is Happening. It was, for a very long time, the third and final LCD Sound System album. Uh, now it's only the, four, the third out of four albums. Uh, this is uh, another, what can you say? Like, this is another fantastic record. This is, you know, it, if it's not the end of an era, it's the, uh, you know, the continuation of one. Uh, the, um, I guess if, if I'm trying to just be a jerk and offer a criticism, uh, criticism of this record, I would say that it's a little more conservative in a way. And I think that this and American Dream, both fantastic records, are more conservative in the sense that they take the stuff that Murphy had kind of innovated on Sound of Silver and this, he, he kind of you know builds an edifice out of it. He builds a format out of it. Mm. A lot of the similar ideas, the, the, the big change really on this album and the next one, and, you know, and hopefully you know, he'll continue to make records. I would, I'm going to buy any one of them that he puts out. Uh, he's starting to sing now. That's the real difference. You know, you listen to a song like I Can Change, which is, I think, my choice is the best song on this album. Uh, he has a beautiful falsetto, actually. He's, he's really kind of emoting the heck out of that song. And I always felt that was appropriate because the cover of the record has him looking for all the world like Brian Ferry of Roxy Music. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. You know, he's wearing a suit and he's got the tie and he's doing a very kind of an emotive but sort of dignified move on the stage. And it's in black and white. He, he, yeah, he just does look like he looks like Brian Ferry. And, and this, in a way, is sort of maybe the, uh, the, the aughts or tens version of Roxy Music, in that, that, that this is mature, intellectual, but also visceral and powerful music that is sort of destined to escape, I think, you know, people who are looking for the earlier rhythmic stuff.
though there's like Drunk Girls is a pretty dancey song. Dance Yourself Clean, of course, is too. Pow Pow has a bit of that bricklayer thing that Tim was talking about. But for the rest of this album, it's it's much more ruminative uh, in a way that, of course, is perfectly catered to my style. This is the kind of music that I wanted to hear. This is the kind of music I was thrilled that uh, LCD Sound System was giving me. But I can also understand why there are people who make a justified argument that like, well, he's not you know, changing the rules of the game anymore with this record, the way that he was with his, you know, with sound of silver and with the debut album, your thoughts. I, I, um, I don't like this as much as sound of silver. And uh, the weird thing is, I think it's the more uptempo ones that uh, don't work as well for me. I, I really don't like drunk girls, which I think was one of the singles from, from the album. I, and, uh, pow, pow didn't hit me in a good way. Uh, that said, there's a, there's a ton here to like, and, and, and you're coming down from such a, a high point. The rest of the album, I, I think, is, is very good. Um, all I want is, um, eh, along with maybe I Can Change, maybe my two two favorites or, or for me, the standouts, um, all I want is, is so layered uh, with, with noise and, and, and with uh, with production and, and, and rhythm that it's hard to pick all the parts out to try to listen and say, oh, I can hear everything going on during this song there's a very robert fripp like guitar a drone like uh, like used on heroes from bowie of course especially in the front half this kind of keyboard casio keyboard tone takes the lead in, in the mid part um and i think the lyrics are even mixed below those two elements for most of the song below the guitar below uh that kind of keyboard tone so they're hard to pick out at times, but that uh, uh, the, the basic track, the basic music track is very good. I Can Change, which is very much in that kind of New Order, Smith's 80 synth pop uh, uh, style. Very desperate song. Uh, you know, the uh, I Can Change If It Helps You Fall In Love, uh, you know, essentially with me. Uh, I think it's one of the more direct, one of the more emotional, uh, kind of personal relationship songs uh, that James Murphy wrote and, and, and delivers through, through LCD Sound System. You Wanted a Hit is, of course, not a hit at all. It's what the longest song of the record, nine minutes. First three minutes is just kind of this ambient synth noise before you get to the lyrics, and, and then you get to the lyrics, and they're fantastic. Um, he you know, said to Dick. Yeah. I mean, it's so asshole behavior. And, and, it, and it's three minutes of noise before <laughs> it gets into the song. Uh, I mean, it is, uh, you know, it's almost a little too on the nose as far as how, how big of a you know finger in the eye it is to, uh, you know, EMI records. Yeah. And, and the weird thing is that part of it, I mean, once you get to that part, it, it pretty much works. There's that chugging sort of guitar that, uh, depending on your era, maybe reminds you of the cars or even like state. Casey's mom, that dum 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 dum, is is there on you wanted to hit. Um, it's got this kind of weird solo with these scrambling synths.
synths in the background, but at its core, you know, the second two-thirds is just very simple, very simple backbeat, very spare guitar as Murphy delivers those just biting verses. You wanted a hit, but maybe we don't do hits. I try and try, it ends up feeling kind of wrong. You wanted it tough. Is it ever tough enough? No, nothing's ever tough enough Until we hit the road Yeah, you wanted it lush But honestly, you must hush No, honestly, you know too much So leave us, leave us on our own Although, and, and, you know, nothing's ever tough enough until we hit the road. I've not seen LCD sound system in person, but I have right. seen and heard that they are just so much better. Not better, but you know, the, the songs take on it's, a different sort of... It's absolutely different life. Yeah. And, and I, I was stunned myself to discover, because I went, we'll talk about this, I went and saw one of their farewell shows, and it was uh, uh, first i'd ever seen them and i was just like this is not the sort of <laughs> hermetic dance uh, art rock band that i had expected because you know i guess it couldn't be because when you have live people performing the music versus a guy in a studio putting it all together and layering it and overdubbing but there's that great line at the beginning of you wanted a hit which is just like you wanted a hit but maybe we don't, don't do, do hits you <laughs> <laughs> know i try and i try and it ends up feeling kind of wrong oh gosh it, this, this is very um you know, maybe you have to just be a true like music fanatic the way I am. It's like into the business and into understanding sort of the lifestyle and, and you know, you know, right. the drama that bands go through. But that's like that's a conversation he's having with the A and R man. I mean, that's that's <laughs> that's a conversation every band has had with the A and R man. And it's just so hilarious to see him put it down in the song, as Tim points out, that begins with three minutes of noise. Yeah. And then actually there's there's a pretty good hook in there <laughs> that he hides yep. because that's him doing his thing. Let me uh, point out real quickly, too, before I pass off uh, Home, which is the last track. It is the last track of the album. I really like Home. It's a perky little rhythm to it and woodblock per- percussion. I think it might be the best music track on the album. Just just the uh, uh, the instrumentation and the music track is really fantastic. The, the dry punch of the drums that actually become more prominent the deeper you get into it. Again, that, that very crystal clear hi-hat uh, playing. I, I like the music track on Home quite a bit. Tim? Yeah, look, uh, this is a great record. They're all great records. Uh, they have two bad songs, I think, after the first record there were none on uh sound of silver as i said uh drunk girls is obviously it on this uh, on this record i uh, he's trying to be funny maybe there's some things that are kind of funny about it's sort of hookup culture um but it's just not that funny uh in the end and um so I, i'm not a fan of drunk girls uh, to the point that I, you know it gets to skip every time on <laughs> spotify um you know which uh, you know i think moves you down a peg uh when you're grading an album if you have, if you have to skip a song every time um but the first record song which which neither of you guys mentioned somehow it's unclear how is their best dance song um and again the boldness of, of James and you know uh, as I, th- I think that uh, 
Jeff's point is fair that, that he's not really changing the game on this record, you know, in a major way, but, but boy, he does take chances. You know, he's not afraid to, to take chances. And it is, it is not formulaic. Uh, and, and the best evidence of that is, is the opening track, um, which is dance yourself clean, which is, you know, begins with, I don't know, probably about three minutes, I think of, uh, you know, just really soft, um, you know, almost a lullaby-ish, uh, you know, kind of song that starts to build uh, with James uh, kind of singing about, uh, you know, middle age uh, relationships and, and the desire to still, you know, want to uh, enjoy yourself in middle age and, and the, you know, your friends, uh, uh, your friend group. Uh, and how he's talking about critic, you know, how terrible everybody around him is, but present company accepted every time. Right? <laughs> yeah. company, everyone, everyone is terrible except you know those of you who are in on it, listening to this song. But three minutes and seven seconds in, there is this synth drop that the volume on it, I I, I think must be twenty x you know the volume yes, yeah. on the previous second. And so you know if you're playing this at a party. Right. Like you have two choices. You either you either have three minutes of silence because it's so low that people can't hear it. And then, you know, the song, uh, you know, really drops and comes in and, and, you know, and everybody starts bobbing their head. Right. Or you play the first three minutes loud enough so that everybody can hear it. And then the drop comes and it is just ear splitting. Right. And that is, you know, I think what James is going for. Uh, and, uh, you know, that uh, drop, um, I, you know, is. I think the best part of any of his uh, of, of his dance songs, and you know, I do love a couple of his wry lines in there uh, on on kind of middle age, uh, you know, party life. Uh, you know, forget your string of divorces, go and throw your little hands up. Um, you know, wait until the weekend, and then we can make our bad dreams come true. Uh, so I, I think that's uh, dance yourself clean is maybe my favorite on the on the record. It's good. tribute all that I, all I want is, is excellent I don't need to add anything you guys you wanted a hit is another one of those songs that I would recommend if going to the electric lady sessions uh, they have you know sort of you know now that you know they no longer need to tease the record company they've they've kind of cut down <laughs> the opening a little bit and and built the back end uh, to the point where it's a monster it's it's the opening track often when they play live. Um, I don't think you guys mentioned somebody's calling me, which is a Iggy Pop nightclubbing ode. It is just a slinky, cool, uh, you know, version of you know this Iggy Pop song, but adding in you know uh, uh, some electric beats and uh, horns. Um, and then at home is is really probably my favorite on the record, uh, which you talked about. It has uh, what the Arcade Fire calls uh, the Millennial Loop. 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> Dan has to have a song where where you get the crowd just kind of like, ah. Uh, uh, and the, the yell, wake up, is obviously the preeminent right. uh, uh, millennial loop. Uh, home is, uh, you know, a little bit of an ode to that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, lyrically it has a bunch of, you know, great elements and it, it's sort of the Eno-ish, uh, I think song on this, this track, uh, on this, on this record as well. Uh, a really, really good close to the record. And we can break the laws until it gets weird. Who's going to offer a defense of drunk girls? I, I yeah. have to. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> terrible. I would love to hear what a defense would sound like, actually. So well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be particularly eloquent about it. I'm just like, I like it. I like the groove and I like that. I listen. It, it's it, it reminds me very much of a scene that I had seen and participated in. You've ever been in these clubs. You know, these girls, you these people, drunk girls, and by the way, drunk boys. There's lots of drunk boys in that song as well. I'll point he's out. Kind of in fairness, he's kind of defending the drunk girls a little bit. Right, right. The drunk boys leave their irons in the fireplace because the drunk girls give them too many tries. Right, right. But like, I I like the groove on that song, and and I and I like it as a, a distanced and somewhat gimlet-eyed observation of a scene that you know murphy by this point geez what is he like 38 years old at this point he's aged long out of <laughs> so like you know he's there performing for these kids or like you know maybe when he was a little younger he was the guy spinning the turntables he was djing for these kids and he just sees them and he's just looking at them in their party dresses and like or they're like you know they're doing their designer drugs or whatever it is and he's just like thinking to himself like Oh man, you know he's he's doing social anthropology on this song. It's almost like reminds me of one of those like late seventies Frank Zappa songs where he observes like you know groupy interactions on the road. It's just like what you see when you live that life, and uh, you know when the day becomes the night, the day becomes the night. I think it's a pretty good song. I'm not gonna ever make any claims that it's like one of the best things that that LCD Sound System ever did. It's certainly not the best thing on this album, but I do like it. I do like it, and. I liked it enough that I was very disappointed when I then found out after This Is Happening dropped that LCD Sound System was deciding that they were going to hang it up. They are going to call it a day. That's it. All these albums, three albums, only three albums, a bunch of singles, non-album singles, B-sides, and this and that, but only three albums. So, guys, was this James, was that was that essentially known before it was released? Before the album was released? I don't. Or? I don't. I, I don't know. Myself. I lived it, um, and you know, it was one of these emotional, uh, uh, you know, moments of my life. With with your it's like finding your parents are getting divorced. I mean, it was sucked, man. I was like, yeah, what? It was pretty bad. Um, so yeah, they basically what happened is the record came out. Um, and I guess I don't remember the exact sequence of when the announcement came, but if it was right before or right after, I think it was right after 
the album had come out and they're on tour and they had booked, you know, kind of Madison Square Garden for the end of the tour. And, you know, Murphy uh, uh, in, in all of his kind of neuroses about whether it's going to sell out and whether he can make another good record and, you know, uh, whether he's too old to do this, <laughs> you know, it's, it seems like kind of on a whim basically said, well, this thing will sell out if we say it's going to be the last show. <laughs> Uh, and so they kind of made this announcement that the, the the MSG show would be the last show, and I, and I think the response was far more overwhelming actually than what they had expected. And um, it sold out in a minute. Uh, then they had to add a bunch of you know, kind of run up shows to the last show in New York because it was family. But um, yeah, so they so this kind of last tour, you at least at some point during that last tour, you knew that that it was it was the last tour and so there was also kind of some farewell um dates uh en route uh in route to new york um and then you know they ended up doing a uh a movie about it um which is uh in you know pretty dark uh, frankly uh um about the last show and you know kind of went away then for a few years and when uh, you know they announced this record coming up he had this horrible backlash, you know, online to it, which because I think, you know, to just point, it was, you know, like a divorce or a death in the family, <laughs> like, like the big fans, like felt like they had grieved and that this was like a life moment, you know, it'd be like, as if, you know, you went to this, this, you know, the, you know, you're a big Prince fan and you went to the funeral and or you or had- finding out that John Lennon had faked his own death. And then- <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> Everything in your room, and you know you have all these tributes. You you save the ticket stub, and then it's like, oh wait, hey, we're back. And so, uh, you know, I guess I understood that feeling, but I I didn't really get the massive anger over it. I mean, it's kind of like this is this guy's life. You know what I mean? This is for me. Like I was like for one second, I felt that way. I was like, oh, but this was such a good memory. And then in the next second, I was like. This is still going to be such a great memory for me. Um, my, my only thought was like, well, gee, I hope it doesn't suck. <laughs> that was, right, that was yeah. the only concern that I had. My and favorite, uh, my favorite anecdote, which I'll share with everybody in case he's out there and listening to this, uh, to the uh, LCD final show, it was this such, you know, kind of these, you know, hipsters allowing themselves to feel emotion for a day, getting, you know, getting their emotions out, a, 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 a communal experience. And next to me was this just way too cool kid coming up from behind like 17 year old kid maybe 16 who knows with his dad who must have been 60 uh and they'd come in from vancouver because he liked the band so much and you know he was dancing with me and my friends whole show and after it um i said hey man like what's your facebook we should keep in touch and the kid took out his school id card and he gave it to me and he said he said just find me and i was like don't you need your school id card he's like nah, man it's cool I was like, I wish I was that cool when I was 16. <laughs> Jordan Vladimir Lysenko. Uh, it was a very <laughs> memorable moment. You know, so, you know, this is so wait, 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 Tim, you were, were you at the Madison Square Garden? The final yeah, 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 yeah. I so, was there too, so I, it's funny. Well, we didn't know each other back then, but yes, I did see them at that final show. Really so for the other people who had moments like you know that, uh, I think that, that they felt like them coming back was a little bit of a – you know, stepping on that a little bit, but uh, and that I think went away, 
you know, for 90% of people who are not, you know, emotionally stunted, uh, especially when the new record came out and it was so good. Now, Scott, your opinion on American Dream? I assume you've gotten around to there. Yeah, I know it was a really long discography. It wasn't like it wasn't quite like Cheap Trick, where there were twenty right. albums after their <laughs> peak era, and we only had four to deal with here. Uh, I will just, by the way, before I ask you your opinion, I'll say uh, I think American Dream is fantastic. I, I think it's it's better than than this is happening. It's not as good as Sound of Silver because what could be. Um, to me, though, it, 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 it definitely feels like Murphy is sort of settling into a comfortable old age. He's an old man now. It's 2017. Is that when? Yeah, this is when. That's when it came out. He's an yeah. old man. Yeah. He's singing. He's not rapping or, or declaiming or doing them anymore. You know, even his 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 uh, big epic songs like uh, American Dream and Call the Police. Well, there's a gentleness to them. There's the, the gentleness. Black screen has the gentleness of a, of a man who's, who's well, he, he's feeling his advanced years in life, which is funny because almost every lyric that, that Murphy has ever written seems in some way to deal with his, his, his self-awareness about mm-hmm. his mortality Aging. and about, yes. right, right. And, but this is their Avalon. Uh, I made a Roxy music comparison a little earlier. You know, this is Avalon, of course, Roxy's last great album, but it's so much different. You go back and compare it to like the original Roxy music debut album. I mean, it's it's stunningly different. This isn't quite as much of a jarring change, but it's much mellower. But in, in every other way, it's, it's, it was, I was so prepared to be disappointed by this record. I remember talking with Tim about this at the time. We were DMing, you know, back on Twitter. And he was like, man, I can't get over how good American Dreaming is. And I was like, no, I can't either. Like, because I don't, I, I think both of us were just like, well, it, it's been a 10 year or seven year layoff. So there's no way this can really be that good. Better rock historian than me. Like, is there another example of a band that broke up and came back with a great record? I mean, you know what, Darren, you're putting me on the spot, and I feel like I need to edit in like a Simpsons thing. Like, <laughs> the answer is blank, you know, because like I'm sure there are, you know, but no, nothing comes to mind immediately. The the amount of time that they took off, especially because it was some, some. The thing is about when you when you're talking about LCD sound system breaking up, this isn't like Radiohead breaking up. Murphy is the driver behind everything. Right. Everybody, you know, the other the other members of the band, you know, contribute. But there's a reason that we aren't really spending a lot of time talking about Nancy Wang, or like, you know, <laughs> we're not spending a lot of time talking about Pat Mahoney. It's it because it's, it's, though that like that those folks have been with him from the start. Yes, they have, and they are fantastic live, but they're not on the studios. Right. It's not like James and Friends, or like people come in and out. I mean, Nancy Wang, Pat Mahoney, Al Doyle, who's hot chip and. LCD, Tyler Pope, Gavin, uh, you know, yeah. all of them have been with him basically since the first record uh, uh, touring. And what? He said he wasn't but going to just, do the new album unless they were all on board, right? I mean, um, he wasn't going to do it were, But the funny thing is that, they, that even then they only ended up playing on like two songs, <laughs> which is strange. I mean, it's almost like he said, like, I'm not going to do this unless you're willing to tour it with me. Yeah. Unless unless you like this music, unless you, you're into it, you you have ideas about how you want to play it. And we're not. It's not going to be fake and phony. And, and I have to give him credit. Like, he could be a diva about this. He understands that he, LCD sound system is a bit like The Fall was, where Marky e. Smith famously said like listen if it's me and your granny on bongos it's the fall all right <laughs> you know similarly if it's james murphy and you know 
you know, anybody, if George W. Bush is playing rhythm guitar, it's still LCD sound. That's to his credit, I think, in why the record, I mean, even though he did the record, I think maybe having those people in mind, knowing that they, you know, it's not like Mahoney, um, who's his best friend, basically, you know, wasn't listening to it as it went on, you know, so having that continuity did matter. I mean, I, I do think that if he came back, you know, with, uh, you know the 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 members of Chick 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 or whatever. Like it would it, it would have <laughs> It would. And the album is great. And the album is it's just fantastic. It's a softer record, I think, in a lot of ways than the earlier stuff. But of course, what what do you expect from a man in his forties? For me, I'll just say it right now: the standout track. And of course, this is no surprise. It's "Call the Police," which was the single from the album. And I think everybody who talked about this record immediately noticed that this one just. I think there are a lot of great. How do you sleep? and tonight also are great but call the police just leaps out to me as being like the one that reminds me it comes closest to something like uh someone great or um you know all, all my friends from uh, sound of silver There's, there's, there's no down spots on this record. I'm just really shocked that he could still keep it together. Um, bands breaking up and coming back with a great album. Just thinking back through our our, our shows, Camper uh, Van Beethoven. Uh, yeah, be okay, the there you go. Uh, New Roman Times was excellent. Uh, Call the Police, which Jeff just mentioned, might be the most like melody friendly song in LCD Sound Systems catalog. Like it's yeah. just it's uh, it's meant to be listened to in a in a very um, in a very kind of nice way it's just the melody is is king on call the police much like it is not on some other songs specifically um this uh, american dream album i would agree with jeff in that it's better than this is happening it's not as good as as sound of silver um it almost seems like this should have been the last album before a breakup there's a lot of talk of endings on this album friendships and and love and things like that and it's a little more I mean, all of the song, well, most of the songs are introspective, as we've mentioned, aging and getting older and your your part in a scene or your your place in life. These seem even more so. Um, and there's some really highlights here. Um, Change Your Mind, I think, is a really great song. 
referencing kind of what losing fans or gaining fans uh, uh, of the band based on on the comeback and there's a really nice call and response with the guitar uh, during the verses on this song and again some kind of squealy frip like guitar tones um, how do you sleep? Someone can talk better about the lyrics because my understanding is it's based on the breakup of, uh, of a longtime friendship business partnership and it gets a little gets a little cruel uh, but the uh, uh, the music on that just is savage, right? There's this percussive beat, this pulverizing, bouncy synth line that enters about four minutes in. Uh, it is so precise in its build uh, before it finally hits you with its full power. Uh, that's a really great song. Um, Other Voices is an example to me of how, with many LCD Sound System songs, you just have to let them breathe a bit. I, I, I did not like kind of that opening shuffle of other voices. It's kind of boring to me, but then the bass line kicks in, and it's it's a different song already by the time it's like 20, 25 seconds in. And then to me, that that's this is one of the more Talking Heads songs, like Remain in Light era of, of, of LCD's career. It ends up turning into a good good song. first one uh very good building to really a powerful lyric and a powerful uh, powerful piece of music and um let's see um oh emotional haircut um is is another one about aging and instead of growing out of style the final minute of emotional haircut is is worth Great. the rest of the song it were descend yeah. into this kind of noisy pummeling groove dissident guitars very forceful bass and almost out of control vocals um that whole song leading up to that is, is just really uh a good moment on the album so i yeah i like it quite a bit i think tonight's pretty good i i, I don't remember i haven't didn't write down any songs that really struck me as being out of place or um or, or unlikable as i kind of found drunk girls from the last album um so i you know coming back after what seven years uh, uh gone it's a really strong album well he, he, murphy is still stewing in in all of his self-referential glory so like how do you sleep uh, it's about goldsworthy it's about tim goldsworthy who was his original dfa collaborator death of records uh this is the record label he formed with him and uh they collaborated and he was the producer you know at that label and then goldsworthy actually you know contributed to the first LCD sound system album. He, he was sort of almost a quasi member. And of course, but also how do you sleep is a reference to the famous John Lennon yeah, song, right. how do you sleep, which is written about Paul McCartney. You know? How do you sleep at night and all that? Um, and so like, you know, even when he's writing a song, which is clearly inspired by his grievances with his former business partner, he can't help but throw in the wink 
throw in the little reference, throw in the nod that makes all of us little, you know, musical nerds go like, oh, I see what you did there. I get it. I'm smart. I get things, <laughs> uh, which, you know, is, and again, you know, Murphy, give him credit, you know, he may be a jerk. He may be, you know, you know, a megalomani- megalomaniacal character, but he's admirably self-conscious about these things. Like he knows the game he's playing, and he even understands how self-indulgent it is. But it doesn't really matter when the song is as good as "How Do You Sleep" is. It's a great song, and uh, you know, despite the fact that again, it just sort of is, you know, is playing it, placing it there, right on the nose, asking you to write a think piece for Slate about how it references the old bitter <laughs> Lennon McCartney feud. Um, it's still, it still earns. It earns its reference with the quality of its music. I, I have to just, I, I don't think yeah, either of you have really done a tribute to just how dark and pulsating yeah. and heavy of a bass and electronic beat it is. I, I put it on in the house um, with uh, my toddler and we just like pound our chest like Matthew McConaughey <laughs> of Wall Street. You know, boom, boom, boom. It is uh, just unbelievably heavy to, to such a degree that they didn't, when he came back, they didn't play it live because he, he was worried that it would you know, kind of take people out of the vibe of the show because it was so, so heavy. And, you know, I think I was reading something where he said that his wife, the initial version was even more metal and bass and dark. And his wife, you know, basically said to him, like, James, you need to dial this back just like 20%. <laughs> um, so I, I think How Do You Sleep is fantastic. And, uh, you know, one just just big picture on the record, one thing, uh, you know, Scott mentioned it's a lot about endings. And a big a big reason for that is because of deaths that happened, yeah, um, yeah. you know, between in that seven-year uh, interim. Um, you know, well, the, the Goldsworthy thing was a death, a breakup, and, and you know, then the book came out where Goldsworthy trashes him. Um, but then actual deaths, he, 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 he built a real friendship with David Bowie. Um, you know, you, we had mentioned some of the references to Bowie and other songs. Um, he, he was supposed to be a producer on Black Star, but basically it just was too overwhelming for him. And I, I think he ended up only contributing to one song. Um, but, but they ended up, you know, having a kind of a texting friendship that he references, you know, black, uh, the last song, um, black screen is, is about Bowie's death basically. Um, and you know, an emotional haircut, uh, he says, uh, you got numbers on your phone of the dead that you just can't delete. Um, uh, so, you know, a lot of kind of darkness and, and ending, you know, uh, obviously there, um, some of the other deaths, Alan Vega. I mean, this band really turned me on to suicide. I don't, I don't know if you guys have been into suicide at all, but Oh, oh baby, which is the opening track is right. basically, uh, 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 you know, a complete homage to, to Alan Vega and suicide. Um, and, uh, it's awesome.
they they covered. Oh man, um. I'm blanking on it. I'm going to need now the Simpsons interlude on, on which uh, Alan Vega song he covered uh, um, at the at the last show. Um, I don't think it, it wasn't Dream Baby Dream. It was one of the other ones. But um, you know, Oh Baby, you know, references Dream Baby Dream quite a bit. Um, this one, I, you know, I think is is sort of like an inverse to me of. Um, of somewhat someone great which was that kind of like happy uplifting irish kind of death song where this is really you know kind of the same spacious kind of soaring sounds but a lower register and darker um you know and i i I, for me i think that's it's the best song uh on the record um uh for sure uh change your mind uh you mentioned it but i I just i I do want to just like really draw in I, i i love kind of the message that he's offering here. And it, it literally was a direct kind of beg to his fans, right? Yeah. That, that just says, uh, you know, you can change your mind. And I, and I think that in this cult, you know, it's, it's also sort of kind of a life uh, totem for me. Like I'm very try to be conscious of not like succumbing to inertia. And, right, and I, I feel like in our society, like that's one of the way that's a little, D- different right like hypocrisy is one thing you know and call out culture is you know so- something that is you know very prominent and uh and and it's risky to say you know i'm going to change my mind i'm going to do something different i'm going to risk failure um and uh so uh, and that's basically it he's just belting at his fans like at the end over and over again like you can change your mind it's okay i have a penny Um, and it starts i also love the start of the song which anybody can relate to which is you know i ain't seen anyone for days i still have yet to leave the bed right it's like he's like i'm reading these comments on my facebook page where everybody used to love me hates me and i can't get out of bed Uh, and you can just picture murphy agonizing over this yeah Um, it's the checking your twitter mentions story yeah oh no i don't haircut is the one that i don't like on this one um, I, again, I thought it was a tend to be funny that kind of missed the mark. Um, the, the one line about this dead cell phone line I did like. Uh, tonight, though, I think is really funny, which is, you know, kind of a basically electro pop song that makes fun of the younger electro pop artists. Um, you know, where he <laughs> says, like, everybody's singing the same song, same beat. Uh, everybody, you know, all of the songs. I, and you feel this way when you go to the club now. All of the songs, you'll notice this, are going, tonight, tonight, tonight. This is the moment. This is the night. You know, and then he kind of deadpans. I never realized these artists thought so much about dying. (laughs) (laughs) So good, because they're not thinking about anything. Like they're just, you know, you know, doing Molly and living in the moment. And he's and what he's pointing out is, well, if you're so obsessed with tonight, it's because you're worried about the end and death. Um, And so I I do. I really like tonight. Call the police. I, I'll disagree with you, Jeff. I mean, I like it. Uh, I, I don't think it's the standout song on the record. I think it's kind of like uh, 
not quite as good version of All My Friends, uh, uh-huh. but still really good, you know, and not quite as good version of one of the five best songs of the century. Uh, <laughs> a good song. Um, and uh, I do like his love song in this one, which is it, which is kind of about older hookup culture. Um, you know, one night stands is kind of a, is American dream. And, uh, you know, I think he has a lot of kind of wry lines about, uh, you know, what it feels like to kind of wake up in somebody else's bed after a one night stand when you're in your forties. Uh, and you know, the sort of fight between kind of love and, uh, you know, uh, meaningless, uh, sexual encounters, uh, in middle age versus, you know, what it, what it was like as a kid. Um, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's a really pretty, you know, kind of love song, um, the title track on this one, which I like. I, so yeah, I mean, the final thing on this record for me is that I was just so nervous when it came, when it was going to come out, that it was going to be bad. You know, your favorite band comes out with a bad record, but like the opposite was true. When I went to see them live, I just wanted to see the new stuff, <laughs> you know, which is the opposite of the cliche where you're kind of hoping the band gets through their new stuff to play the hits. Uh, <laughs> but I just wanted to hear as much of American dream as possible. And it really did live up to it uh, in their last shows. And they did a nice round also of tributes you know, when they came back to the people that had died in the interim. And I, I, I saw them at Coachella do a Heroes encore, um, you know, which obviously, you know, they had kind of paid homage to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of silver, um, uh, or in this happening rather. And, uh, uh, you know, it was really, really, really tremendous. So, so, where, uh, so where does that leave us? So, like, you know, like LCD Sound System, broken up. If we had recorded this show when we had first started Political Beats, you know, when episode one was Van Halen, if it had been LCD Sound System, we would have been talking about, well, this band is dead and gone, and that's a shame. You know, wonderful group, but they're, but, but you know, they're, they're, they have broken up, and that's that. And, and, and now they're back, and they still, you know, Murphy still seems as vital as ever although he works at you know as we said at a snail's pace and given that you know the most recent record came out in 2017 and it was a seven-year gap between this one and the last time i assume that we can wait until 2030 for the follow-up to american (laughs) dream Uh, they're touring they toured uh they toured they released even like a live album like uh, a live in studio uh, electric lady sessions record which is pretty good mostly taken from the new stuff and coming off really powerfully alive um do you think there's going to be another lcd sound system tim i know this is like asking someone to predict the weather a year from now but like do, do, you, do you think it's going to happen or do you think this is just a one-off well i do think that they can't you can't do another big goodbye show after you you know did a documentary at Madison. yeah right? yeah so you can't when they go away they'll just go away i would think uh, but yeah, look, they just, as you said, they just put out this new live album that has this Human League cover that it opens up with, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, like they do a great uh, takeout of uh, Seconds by the Human League. Um, and so I, look, well, he said that, you know, when he was doing that, part of the reason he came back, he's like, I was like, I wrote 20 songs. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with them? <laughs> you know, like just, uh, like just play them in my basement for my wife. And so, uh, you know, if that's true, and then the record had, what, nine songs on it. So, you know, it seems like he has more material and he's the type of person who will continue writing. You know, he also has other endeavors. Um, he's, he's gotten very into natural wine. Talk about being a dad rock, you know, like he, now when he plays, instead of drinking whiskey, like he used to, he drinks 
natural line up on stage. Uh, it's just hilarious uh, to me. Um, that's being comfortable in age, you know. I'm not. I'm you know. I'm just going out here and I'm going to drink some natural wine and play <laughs> for you guys. So and he's got a wine store. So he has other interests, right? Um, but I would suspect that they would, especially given how good their you know response was to this. I would suspect that they will do another another round. And there we are. That is the uh, political each look for now. I mean, I guess we can revisit at some point. In the can future. I re-predict, by the way? I'm wrong about everything, and I want <laughs> to do another album. So I think they're probably done. I'm changing my prediction. They're done. Uh, it's our look at uh, at LCD Sound System, and uh, we come to the point of the show in which uh, all three of us deliver to you, the listener, two albums that you've got to own, and there's only four, so I mean, there you go, and uh, and five songs from the band that you must hear, and our guest always takes the floor first, so Tim Miller, uh, it's to you, your two albums and your five songs, please. Yeah, I'm worried we're all going to pick the same albums, which is like really mean that this is happening, because it's such a good record, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, Minor Sound of Silver and American Dream, um, uh, just uh, because I think they're more complete uh, as records and, you know, uh, uh, you know, have a point of view, uh, that is reflected throughout, you know, all the different, all the different songs. Um, as far as my five songs are concerned, this is so hard. I was deciding up to the last minute, Je- poor Jeff teased me like a year ago and said, we're going to do a second version. So like, I've been mentally ranking the albums <laughs> and the songs uh, over the past 10 months and like it all ch- changes every time like i've had each each record of the four has been in my two records at some point between now between last fourth of july and now um but uh, same with the song so i'm just going off the top of my head now I, I can't deal with the pressure but uh tribulations i think absolutely has to be on it um all my friends uh, I, I think change your mind because it's so you know kind of relevant uh to the new record um, uh, and kind of his life outlook and that I share, uh, get innocuous. Um, mm. uh, I think is their best of the, of kind of the traditional, you know, LCD, uh, sound format. And it's just, it's just gotten so much better with time. Do oh baby, <laughs> Alan Vega tribute. Um, all right, so my all right, two albums. Uh, clearly, the first one is Sound of Silver, and uh, you know for for the second one, I, I'll actually uh, I'll actually choose the self titled album LCD Sound System because you get the singles as the bonus there uh, if you pick that one up. So um, I, I think that's a really good introduction 
for the band. Uh, the songs, and I've been writing these down through the day, uh, Tribulations for sure. I think it's just a, such a killer track. Um, from the from the pre-first album singles, uh, Your City's a Sucker. Again, that's the first one that really grabbed me, so I'm going to put that on the list. Um, you Wanted a Hit is on my list of five, and I think these last two are going to be duplicates of Tim, but Change Your Mind from the most recent um, American Dream and, and Get Innocuous. It's the best example of the way that he builds those songs piece by piece. You can actually hear it, you know, being constructed in front of your ears, so to speak, and it's a great song. Uh, so those are those are my five. Jeff? Well, I wouldn't be a musical hipster if I, if I didn't tell you that none of you people truly understand LCD sound system. <laughs> because your picks are all wrong. You don't understand the greatness of this band. You're going to be fired from the first record, which they've only played live two times in the decade, right? Well, I, that was a pretty nerd factory to come out with, Tim. I'm impressed. No, no. What I am going to pick, though, first of all, Sound of Silver is the obvious answer. Come on, people. You, you, you've got to own this record. You know, even if you have no interest in, in dance music, in modern you know, rock or popular music, it's no, knowing Sound of Silver is like critical to understanding like musical trends, almost cultural trends during the 2000s. It's that that much of a landmark. You got to own it, and it's worth every second of its time. Um, but the other one that I would pick as my second favorite album is uh, this is going to be strange, and because all four records are great, right? All four of the studio albums are great, so I'm not denigrating them in any way when I say that my second pick would actually be 4533. Uh, which is the instrumental Nike promotional record that was initially, I think, released digitally or like on iTunes or something like that. I don't even know exactly how it was. I just got a burnt CD of it back in the day. It's the same one I still have on my computer. Um, boy, I love that. I'm, I'm just a sucker for instrumental works. I'm a sucker for, for music that both that you can both tune out and like focus on something else and you know be you know focused on and it, it locks you into a groove and it helps you concentrate uh but also that you can literally listen to pure 100 percent laser focused attention and get just as much out of and that's really what 4533 is i i, I think it's it's murphy's attempt at a, in an eno-esque um or not even just you know he was working off of you know a blueprint laid out by other or like early instrumental avant-garde composers as well and he just did a magnificent job and there's it's, it's no surprise that he ended up reusing some of the blueprints of those songs uh, later on on sound of silver check it out it, it's the it's the the footnote in the lcd sound system discography that doesn't deserve to be a footnote it, it basically because there are no real lyrics um and uh, you know because it's it's a left turn it's a swerve from the rest of the discography it doesn't get the credit it deserves my five favorite song, well, first of all, it has to be Losing My Edge. As you know, uh, as Paul, my buddy, said to me, he's like, Jeff, you wrote a song and you didn't even know it. Um, <laughs> somebody plagiarized it from my brain. It will never not weird me out how much I identify with every line of that album, of that, of that song. Uh, in, and, you know, I guess that's a kind of a pathetic confession, just as the song itself is it in a way a pathetic confession someone great and all my friends from sound of silver those and they really that they, they too they flow back to back someone great of course is taken from 4533 musically and then it has that great lyric about loss and then all my friends boy you know i think tim did a better job of explaining that than anyone else could That's why i didn't even bother to talk about it on the show um both of them are just you know basically 
peaks, maybe the peak of LCD sound systems career. Uh, last two would be I Can Change um, from This Is Everything, which I think is beautiful. And I think it's probably uh, James Murphy's best vocal. I was just like very, very surprised to, to hear him croon. I didn't know he had it in him. And uh, finally, Call the Police uh, off of American Dream. American Dream is an album that's, that's really great almost all the way through. Uh, and it just gives you hope because it's like, yeah, you know what? Even even the old the old graybeards have something left in them. But Call the Police is the standout track on that record for me. And I just, uh, you know, it, it, it's been so fun to talk about a band that, that really just sharply departs from almost every other group we've covered on political beats. Maybe Nine Inch Nails, you know, mm. Trent Reznor with some of the early industrial beats. Beat heavy stuff had some commonality with what LCD Sound System would then pick up the baton with and then run later on, uh, you know, towards you know the modern era. But man, this this one is a real departure, and I just hope it's one that that people give a lot of time to because they were and I guess frankly they are still great. Well, it's very James Murphy esque of me to feel proud that I'm on political beats on the most obscure and <laughs> departed relevant i was here uh podcast that you guys put forth yeah you should have told us not to do this that we'd never make a dime uh, that's true pretentious oh can we please end with james murphy's quote about pretension i wrote it down because i i felt like uh the jeff would love this have you have you have you read what he said to chuck klosterman about pretension no jeff? no go go for it go for it what I want to write a treatise in defense of pretension. It's become a term to distance people from interesting experiences and cultural engagement, but pretension can lead to other things. The first time I read Gravity's Rainbow, I did so because I thought it would make me seem cool, but now it exposed me to all of these other great uh, authors. Uh, I, I just thought that, that was an <laughs> amazing meta take uh, for James Murphy on himself uh, to Chuck Klosterman that kind of sums up the point of view, the pro-pretension caucus that was basically my experience buying joy division albums uh you know i, I did it because i thought i was supposed to and it'd make me cool and then well look what happened to me <laughs> you're cool uh, no, that, no that actually that that was not part of the package i never <laughs> became <laughs> uh there is the political beats look at lcd sound system we thank our guest on today's show tim miller communications consultant gop operative you can read stuff in the bulwark co-founder america rising and on twitter at tim odc tim thanks for joining us once again thanks guys uh we'll be back for an even more obscure band in 2021 <laughs> yeah, yeah well one day we're gonna do that widespread panic episode i am you know, down for widespread panic I'll, I'll pick up widespread panic or we'll do north mississippi all-stars both very I've never heard young. a note of either i won't lie not um, a note we gotta All we right. gotta turn you, you on your dms yep uh, all right jeff uh, blair a fine show as always look forward to next week all right we'll see you soon my man at esoteric cd for jeff you can find me on twitter at scott bertram this uh, by the way subscribe we ask you to new feed or, i'm sorry to our feed for new episodes itunes google play stitcher tune in or you can go right to nationalreview.com listen enjoy please share please leave reviews as well this has been a presentation of national review this is political beats Oh,